Good morning. Good morning, Rob. How are you this morning, Bill? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah? Yep. Croissant consumed. Croissant consumed. Nice. Orange juice quaffed. Well, <clears throat> we're talking juice. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> we normally record this on an evening, usually on a Thursday evening, about uh, 7.30 or 8. Uh, today we're recording it at 9.25am, uh, but dedicated as I am to the essence of the show that is North v South, I'll pour myself a beer. <clears throat> does your wife know about this? <laughs> she does. She did question it when I mentioned I was going to have a beer. So it's a, it's a bottle of Liquid Mistress from the Siren Brewery, a red IPA. Looks good. So excuse me one second. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> so it's the earliest I've had a beer for about 20 years. <clears throat> if you're uh, not from the UK, this is the perfect description of the North v South divide. <laughs> <laughs> you with your croissant and your OJ, <clears throat> and I've got a pie in the oven, <laughs> and I'm having a beer. <laughs> <sighs> right. Welcome to North v South. The podcast that is and isn't about design. This is episode 50. We have Woo-hoo! hit the 50 mark. That's a, a gentle ripple of applause from the pavilion. Yeah, I've got um, balloons and party poppers here. Right. Uh, and this week we're going to do a, a special one. We did, uh, 25, we did a special, uh, a kind of, we talked about 25 illustrators, didn't we? Or mm. illustrations. And yeah. th- this week we're going to do typography. We've been talking about it for ages um so we're just going to do the a to z of typography and uh the basic premise is rob do you want to talk us through it (laughs) (laughs) you bugger i don't know what the basic premise is uh i think it probably links quite uh, well with last week's episode on self-doubt um we're just going to have a chat about some of the terms in uh typography uh and uh yes (laughs) <laughs> well we wrote yeah we we listed uh a to z in a document and we've both just been dropping uh different phrases and terms into that list and we're gonna uh bore you to death by running through it from a to z <laughs> yeah um type aficionados uh yeah, please turn pl- down your sound now yeah turn off your podcasting <laughs> app yeah um, but first we should talk about what we've been up to this week i guess Yep. What have you been up to this week, John? Well, it was Easter last weekend, so we're in that um, part of the year when we're bank holidayed up to the max, mm. and it always dramatically affects my work. So, um, I've yeah, I've condensed uh, five days into three days, or four days, I guess. Uh, but we lost a day at the end of last week, didn't we? Uh, we did. So I'm kind of baffled by bank holidays because I'm... Just, just on my own at the minute, you know, working from home, so they kind of don't impact me. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I guess yeah. So, uh, so um, I think just people want to squeeze things into really small time frames. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, so it's been manic street preachers. And then how was your your Easter? Was it full of egg hunts? <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> Uh, yeah it was they go, god it goes on forever doesn't it it's only a blooming egg 
Uh, yes. I can't say I'm a, a fan of the over-commercialization of... Uh, I don't mind the over-commercialization of Christmas, but uh, I think Easter's stretching it a bit too far. Mm. Um, we've got enough chocolate in the house um, to uh, start our own Willy Wonka chocolate factory. So we're having to... We're, we're, we're doling it out like it's rationed. We've given Kitty a little ration book and she has to come up to a little <laughs> little booth in the morning. <laughs> she gets given her, her chocolate idea. allowance. Yeah, I just ate all mine pretty much all in one go and felt very sick. <laughs> I just, I, just the only way, get it out of the way, That's eat good. it. Otherwise, yeah. it just, it just remains a, a temptation for days. But yes. yeah, we, we were down at the in-laws and um, I, I was treated to uh, a Spitfire um, uh, flying over us every so often. Well, because, just for you? Well, I don't know, maybe. Um, nice. No, they were, they were obviously doing, uh, they live uh, right on the south coast at a place, well, in front of a place called HMS Nautilus, which is actually, is not a ship, it is actually an airstrip, um, but oh. it's a naval one, uh, or it was a naval one. And um, so they have private aircraft taking off from there now, mm. and they had a Spitfire doing, obviously doing flybys. So it just kept going over the garden. Nice. Over and over again. <clears throat> it was fantastic, you know, where you could actually see the people in the plane. It was that low. Yeah. yeah. It was fantastic. Mm. Well, I, um, I was in Cornwall. Cornwall. Um, almost unexpectedly, really. It was a, a late decision to pop down and see a friend in Cornwall. Um, and we drove down very early on uh, Bank Holiday Monday, Easter Monday. Um, and the traffic was a, a delight, which was a surprise. Um, we had fantastic weather. We stayed in Newquay, and then we basically for three days we just potted up and down between Newquay and Padstow. Um, ate lots of really nice food, saw a couple of beautiful sunsets, uh, and went on a few walks. And it was just gorgeous. It's uh, it's a long time since I've spent any time in Cornwall. Like really, when I was a kid, I used to go there quite a bit. Um, so it was nice to be reminded just how beautiful it is. The place called the uh, Bedruthen Steps, which is a section of cliff um, between Newquay and Padstow, kind of close to Padstow. Um, and it is some of the most staggering landscape I, I think I've seen in Britain. Just these amazing cliffs and coves and bays. And because the, the weather was fantastic, there was practically no wind. The sea was beautifully calm and that just perfect turquoise it was remarkable it really was a sight to behold so i came back here sort of quite inspired to draw so i've been drawing doodling little cliff scenes and cornish coastlines <laughs> yeah it's a beautiful part of the world my f- uh, my mate west his pe- parents had a house down on the re- uh, morgan porth did you go through that oh, yeah. yeah and uh, they literally walked down a little sandy stretch and you were on the beach it mm. was a fantastic house um yeah uh spent many good times down there yeah I think it's when the sun shines down there it's absolutely gorgeous isn't it yeah yeah absolutely yeah so we had uh an amazing meal at a pizza place on fistral beach with just the most amazing sunset we were sat in this kind of rotunda of this pizza restaurant called the stable um well, it couldn't have been better, except I did get um, crept on by a pigeon. <laughs> that's, that's, l- that's lucky, isn't it? Well, apparently so. It was hot and green. That's what it was, John. <laughs> oh, 
Pesto. Yeah, to wash my entire... Well, that's it. Cornish. It's very middle class. Cornish, Cornish pesto. Cornish. Cornish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had to wash my head in a sink. Oh, nice. <clears throat> anyway, didn't didn't detract from the pizza or the sunset. So that's pretty much been uh, my week. And then as soon as I got back, I was catching up with commissions. This beer is delightful. For breakfast. <laughs> uh, what else have I done? Um, I bought a camera, a new camera. Oh, yeah. What have you got? Um, I've got, I had an, an old, I've got a micro four thirds camera, which yes. you, you've got a similar, you've got a pen. Yeah, I've got a Lippers pen, yeah. Uh, I had an old one and I never got on with it. Um, didn't like it. So I'm trying one out. Uh, I've got a, uh, I think it's a two week trial oh. on a new Panasonic. It's called the G80. It's like oh, a yeah. mid range. Is that a micro four thirds? Yeah. So you can use your old lenses. I can, yeah. And uh, it's got inbuilt stabilisation, so uh, a lot of the lenses I'll be able to handhold rather than um, stumbling around with a tripod in low light. So I'm going to see what that's like. I've been umming and ahhing. I've got to get a camera for um, reproducing artwork, um, Mm -hmm. and but this isn't good enough for it. But I just can't afford to spend, uh, you know, three or four thousand on a on a camera that can do full frame. Mm. at the moment so i just want to dip back into it because i haven't done i've hardly taken any photos since kitty was born really um and i used to do a lot of photography so yeah. i'm quite sort of trying to inspire myself back into it that's sounds... one of the problems with the the iphone isn't it because the camera on that is is good enough for snaps so yeah you tend not to have your other cameras with you but then you look at like uh you know you look at older photos with decent lenses and it, there is a oh, yeah. world world difference isn't it and um alid was um uh was down at the in-laws on last week and he had his uh 50 mil 1.2 or whatever it is on his canon yeah mark 5 and that takes pretty amazing photos and got me uh photo jealous (laughs) Uh, so you went out and got (laughs) well i've yeah i've been numbing and gnawing for ages and ages i was going to get the olympus but um it's too expensive this thing's really ugly but it does the same thing and it's nearly half the price it was like 620 quid i got it for yeah it's all right isn't it yeah not bad um and what's the two-week trial you can take it back if you don't like it yeah i bought it through john lewis you, oh, you get okay. two. You get. I'm going to get a three year warranty on it with it. And um, this is really, this is really interesting, isn't it? Me talking about cameras. It's all right. Wait till we talk about punctuation marks. <laughs> I'm just trying to eke it out, Rob. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, just been uh, doing loads of quotes. Uh, I had loads of quotes come in. Um, some just wasting my time. Uh, I understand why printers must get so frustrated doing quotes all day. And, um, yeah, clients changing print specs all the time. I don't think they realize how long it takes you to do a, you know, you, yeah. you do a quote for a print and then they change both the quantity and the size and expect you to just reply with this <laughs> same rap. Yeah. I'm like, no. So, yeah, that's been a, that's been rather annoying. But, yeah, lots, lots of work coming in. Can't complain. Oh, good. When I was in Padstow, we went to the churchyard in Padstow. I like taking pictures of gravestones. Um and last time I was there in Pastel, which was probably about 17 years ago or 18 years ago, it, it struck me how different gravestones are depending on which part of the world you're in. And I briefly started a, a blog called Grave Words um, about it. Because in Pastel, you've got all these, and kind of the southwest or in Wales, you've got all these slate 
um, headstones so the type on the headstones can be beautifully carved, kind of thick and thin, uh, kind of quite ornate lettering. And you go up to somewhere like Whitby in North Yorkshire and the gravestones are made out of really kind of uh, grainy sandstone. And the type there has to be really robust and chunky because one, you, can, you can't carve it with the same degree of accuracy as you can with slate. And the other is because it gets eroded by the wind so quickly, um, it had very quickly become illegible. And I think that, that's something that fascinates me about typography is that kind of uh, regional difference that is just down to geography or geology. Hmm. That's that's a fascinating. Uh... Well, that's what that's what I thought. I thought I start this blog. I wrote one blog post, uh, <laughs> never published it, and it's laying dormant ever since. You need to. I still think. I still raise, think raise it from there. the grave. Yeah, it's a great blog in there somewhere. No, I think so. Yeah, it's like sort of ghost signs, but um, mm. but grave signs. Yeah, <clears throat> I love I love a decent graveyard. Yes, I keep meaning to go to the one in um, is it Charing Cross? That's got is it uh, Thomas Hardy's tree or something? All right, it's a, a tree that's got all these gravestones arranged kind of radially around this tree, and the roots have kind of grown into it. <clears throat> and it's, is that uh, is that in one of the parks along the embankment then? No, I think it's up near. I think it's up near King's Cross. Oh, not Charing Charing Cross. You said. Did I say Charing Cross? Maybe it's St. Uh, it's St. Pancras. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, getting my stations mixed up. Yeah, I keep meaning to go. Oh. But yes, I do love a good graveyard. Anyway, should we talk about um, topography, John? Yeah, why not? So welcome to uh, the North, V South, A to Z of typography. <laughs> I hope you're all making notes. Yeah. We certainly are. Yeah. Let's start at the beginning. Let's A. It's, uh, well, I'm going to start with one of the ones you've put in. <laughs> <laughs> um asterisk as a lot of people say yes uh the asterisk uh you, you you've put a really um amazing fact there tell talk me through it well asterisk meaning little star is that greek or is it latin greek i think isn't it uh was originally seven pointed star uh, which was used in the printing of feudal family trees and it was to note uh, a date of birth. Oh. Um, yeah, which I, I've never heard before. I kind of found that in my a bit of research for this show. <clears throat> and I think that's one of the things about typography that's interesting is the uh, the way all these marks and letter forms uh, kind of come to come to be in the in the state that we know them now through history and usage and misusage. Um, yeah, I, I like a little asterisk. Yeah, there's a uh, there's there's an it's just the fascinating um, vocabulary behind typography uh, that comes from practical usage, um, and then has become sort of mythical, uh, died mm. or, you know as as the old ways of making type died away, but they've remained even in the digital world, and so they don't really have much of a meaning. So people use them all the time, but they, I, you know, half of these words that I looked at over the last week, I had no real knowledge of where they'd originated. Um, yeah. So we're going to pick up on that quite a lot throughout this list, aren't we? 
We are. <coughs> so I wonder when it became, when the asterisk became um, a sort of a note, an annotation. Um, did did uh, they did they put the date of the feudal family trees at the bottom of a page or something? Or <laughs> maybe like a footnote. Yeah, I'd have to have to look into that one. Another another funny uh, little character that begins with A is ampersand. Yes, um, which is uh, a sort of bastardization of the Latin word et or and, um, and uh, yeah, can be a curious shape, can't it? It can take all sorts of forms throughout. It- Different, it can. Different so, yes, typefaces. It's, it's effectively a, a contraction of et, isn't it? That kind of weird, almost like a ligature of et, the word, the Latin word et. Um, but it's, it, I guess, over the years, it's it's become this kind of figure of eight loop in in a lot of uh, typefaces. That's that doesn't really relate to et anymore at all, does it? No, no, not in in modern modern ones. It doesn't look anything like it. But if you look at something like Garamond, <clears throat> you can see bits of it in there, can't you? Mm. Yeah. Uh, and what I, you you collect them? Are you I putting do. here? What, what do you I mean? Do. Well, I think it started um, going around Kempton Antiques Fair, and they have a lot of these. Really sad in a way. You have lots of these type cases, you know, because. Metal type and wooden type isn't really used anymore, certainly on a, a professional scale uh, or an industrial scale, so that lots of old type was just thrown away. So they've got bits and pieces of type and little type. And I just thought, oh, I'll, start, I'll collect them. And I thought, well, I'm not going to collect entire sets of type. So I thought, I'll, so I'll collect ampersands. So I've got, I don't know, I've got half a dozen little ampersand letters and I've got a big old kind of two foot tall 3d one from a shop front <clears throat> and i've got some again sad i've got one of the some of the um i don't know what you call them the the hand drawn beautifully um letter forms from linotype so it's like a 10 inch tall ampersand and it's got all the the measurements on it for a peak gothic three um, from 1907, from the Linotype type foundry, um, hand-drawn ampersand. So I've got a couple of those. Um, yeah, and I just think they're a really nice shape, and it's I don't know, it's just a little, a little thing to to collect. <clears throat> nice little objects. Yeah, but sad that you know they've all been broken up and you know distributed to the the winds. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, B. Yeah. Bold. <clears throat> yes. Let's what be can, bold. What can you say about bold? <sighs> <laughs> Do Well, I mean, <clears throat> it's good to use in uh, well, if you're saying something. It's there's always the horror that people use like the false bold or the false italic. <laughs> Rather than using the correct bold, yeah, uh, but you haven't been able to do that for a while, have you? Unless you use Quark Express, because Quark Express always used to have that override, um, you know, of doing the false italic and the false yeah. bold, which used to always go horribly wrong when you were uh, ripping that to image set or whatever, sure, because yeah. it used to just uh, skip it a lot. Um, yeah, so slanting a font 
or a typeface is not the italic version of it. No. Um, but the the other interesting thing about bold and italics is that, it, it, especially in the web, um, is it, uh, in the old days there was a um, there were tags for bold and italics, which was just mm-hmm. B, B and I. Uh, but that isn't a semantic markup so it doesn't actually mean anything when you read it through so you know making something heavier doesn't make it more emphasized and that's what the tag is 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 strong um or emphasized for italic um which is which is interesting isn't it because typefaces don't have any way of expressing how you should use each of the weights do you know what I mean? Yeah, in terms of yeah, em- so. em- emotionally, whereas the whereas the web is trying to get that across because it's trying to um, also cover people, you know, re- readers, screen readers, or whatever. You can just add emphasis to uh, to two sentences by yeah. putting in I guess, strong. I guess in print, a lot of the emphasis comes from the actual structure of the the text, doesn't it? You know, we know how things read, and we can understand when a writer wants. Emphasis. I mean, yes, punctuation and bolding and italicizing can help with that, but a lot of the time it's it's purely down to the language. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, and plus, you can uh, you can set type at different sizes, or hmm. you know, on a poster or whatever. Whereas on, yeah. on the web, a lot of the time when you're just displaying text and you have no control, if you take the style the style sheet away from a piece of HTML, it's just a string of text. So this yeah. just this just allows you to retain that sense of of meaning to the to the uh, to the copy. Um, so yeah, so if you're you if you are setting type, don't don't use bold and italic. Use s- strong and emphasis tags, please. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, my next B, uh, Beatrice Ward, not specifically a type, typographical thing. Beatrice Ward um, was a librarian to the American Typefounders Club. I think she worked with Monotype as well, or Linotype. Uh, and she was a printing propagandist. And she wrote this little kind of manifesto, this little uh, piece of text called This is a Printing Office. <clears throat> and I love it. Uh, this is a printing office. Crossroads of civilization, refuge of all the arts against the ravages of time, armory of fearless truth against whispering rumor, incessant trumpet of trade from this place may work, may fly abroad, not to perish on waves of sound, not to vary with the writer's hand, but fixed in time, having been verified in proof. Friend, you stand on sacred ground. This is a printing office. <laughs> and I love that. That's one of my favorite little... <clears throat> little things about words and print and type i think it's really powerful uh, and you can you can imagine the the kind of emphasis that that she must have written those words with um it's really powerful stuff i think and um, particularly in in uh in current times i think you know armory of fearless truth against whispering rumor i think we need a bit more of that incessant trump yes <laughs> which is uh something that you'll be enjoying later on after your beer um no i i, I yeah i like it i i like the word printing office i think that it it's just so archaic isn't it it is it's lovely yeah uh, and a quick b uh for a couple of books on type that i think are essential yeah one is type and typography by phil Baines and andrew haslam and it's uh it's like a grounding book on type and typography. It goes all the way from how 
language evolved and how uh, alphabets and letter forms evolved through into kind of how into usage and structure <clears throat> um, and it's a really informative interesting book with some great stuff in it yeah it's a really um, good book I've got, I've, got, I've got it as well yeah um, um, love it and it's got a bit on typographic conventions at the back which is really handy about you know where you use apostrophes and how you you know set your dates and things which leads me on to the second book which is the guardian style guide um, all right yeah i haven't got i haven't got that is that worth getting absolutely it's a it's a brilliant book so basically the guardian style guide tells you about amongst other things it tells you about how to use grammar and punctuation you know how you uh, apostrophize a a possessive name with a that ends in an S, that kind of stuff. Um, and it's got loads of conventions about um, spelling and grammar and just usage of kind of common words and terms. And it is absolutely indispensable. So I think every every design studio should have a copy of the Guardian Style Guide, okay. <coughs> regardless of your political leanings. <laughs> um, do other papers do them as well? I know. I know there's a there's a, an American paper that does one. I can't yeah. remember which. Is it the one New is. York Times? Um, no, I can't no, remember. I can't remember. There is one. Yeah, I, I've got. I picked up one in the secondhand bookshop, which is called Bookwork Style at the Pittman Press, and it's a 1960 okay. publication, and that's got all of their rules for setting type in a book, um, and it's got some fantastic uh, tips and uh, and ideas in there. It, you know, it's not a case of just looking at modern books for type um layout if you think everything was set by hand um in you know pre six pre 70s i guess um and you'll get a lot more um information in those books that are that can be applied today um yeah, the, the, yeah that i like that one another another can i have can i have one put one yes, in book in uh, getting yes, it can. right with type uh, by Victoria Squire is a really good book for um, just giving to people in the studio who might not have a lot of experience in setting type um, yep. because it's just got all the basic rules in there, which we'll, I'm sure we'll cover as we go through the alphabet. But um, yeah, it's just a, it's really nicely put together book. And another one that's a bit more it's a bit more academic is a type primer by John Kane. Um, OK, that's a lovely book beautiful book uh printed in two color red and black which i love and love um yeah, it's, it's just got absolutely everything you need to know about typing it it's quite it's quite uh academic i'd say and it's not like the type and typography book which is you know more like a history or like a one of the you know the times book of archaeology or whatever but it's yeah. actually about type and uh, wherever phil baines puts his weight behind um i am a big fan of absolutely uh and, and another one actually first book i ever bought on type because um I, I kind of had no knowledge of type whatsoever when i started in this game but um it's called 20th century type and i think i got the second edition of it which is called uh, remix that. Uh, <clears throat> and that kind of covers the 20th century uh sort of typography and uh and type design and it's great isn't it yeah, it's brilliant. It's by Lewis Blackwell. Yeah, it's, um, it's really nice because it's purely chronological, isn't it? Um, so you can kind of flip to kind of 1950s and it, it shows you the typefaces that were designed in the 50s and were kind of in use in advertising in the 50s and stuff. Really, yeah, really it's, nice. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like an art book mm. more than a guide. Yeah. <clears throat> 
but handy if you want to do something with a yeah, like a period piece. Yeah, and then my final book, I got I got a whole pile. Hang on, you're only having one. Oh, go on. It's the Geometry of Types, quite a new book by a guy called Stephen Coles. Um, okay. It's got a bit in by Eric Speakerman. And uh, that's that's really, really drills down into uh, specific typefaces and classifications um, and has nice big, bold page, uh, double page spreads on on each particular typeface. Um, and it, it's just a nice one to look at for inspiration. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. See. <laughs> curly quotes. Go for it. Please use curly quotes. <laughs> what are curly quotes, John? Curly quotes are uh, quotation marks rather than prime um, or uh, dumb quotes. Uh, a lot of the web um, cannot interpret the difference between the two. So it puts in the cheapest, um, most boring, you know, the just two two dashes or uh, yeah. two, two um, vertical lines or single one. Um, they does, are, it, does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> i think so um i think that you should use the proper punctuation um and you can now get scripts and all sorts of uh, helpers on on web pages um that will replace um the standard uh you know double quotes yeah with the curly quotes just adds a little bit lifts your type adds a little bit of emphasis um and adds some interest into long, long bits of text yeah uh, speaking of uh quote marks what are you, what are your feelings on hanging punctuation yeah i like it yeah yeah i like a roman roman hanging it, it's easy to do as well and if you use style sheets rob yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. Do you, do you like do you like it hanging off of the off of this this the the margin? You like it sticking out yeah. to the side? Yeah, I do. I don't know what the technical particularly word particularly at larger sizes. It doesn't matter quite as much in uh, body copy. I don't think. Yeah, some curly quotes look beautiful, don't <clears throat> they? Made <clears throat> big. Yes. <laughs> we really uh, we nailed that one. <laughs> absolutely. <clears throat> Comic Sans. You can't, you can't have an episode on typography without talking about Comic Sans. I think it's... Comic Sans is really maligned as a typeface. But really, it's it's usage that should be maligned, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with it as a typeface um, used in the right way, in the right setting. But it just seems to get derided however it's used. You know, use it in a kid's book. Kind of fine. Designed by Vincent Canaire, inspired by lettering in comics, um, and bundled with Microsoft from, I don't know, time immemorial. Um, which, comics did, which comics did he look at to get that? Because <coughs> it doesn't remind me of any comics that I read. But maybe, I don't know. Probably but yeah, Golden I, Age American <laughs> comics. I think it's just one of those... It's one of those things that's really easy for people to jump on and, and easy to mm. criticise when you have no knowledge of other horrors that are out there. Um, yeah. But you only have to go on the free typeface websites to see real horror. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, at least, I mean, Comic Sans isn't pretending to be anything else, is it? No, not at all. <coughs> I think well, in it, terms of its its usage being derided, it was the, when the scientists at CERN announced the discovery of the Higgs boson, they, they were sort of slated for presenting all their evidence in comic sounds they did they? not they they really did 
Uh, I, you kind of think, did, did one of them just think this is going to be really funny? You know, that one of the biggest <laughs> scientific breakthroughs of the 20th century and we'll, we'll use Comic Sans for it. Well, I don't know. I get a lot of emails uh, from uh, companies where somebody has decided to override their um, their branding and they've put, you know, they've set their, their signature in Comic Sans in pink. Yeah. And you kind of think... What? Why? Why? It, it must be must be appealing, mustn't it? People love to override stuff, don't they? They love to customize things, color things, if they yeah. can. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. Some people just need that, don't they? <laughs> Not me. Should we move to D? Yeah, I'm going back to curly quotes, Rob. Again? Yeah. This uh, double prime. Right, double prime is uh, an inch mark, basically. <clears throat> so for measurement, use a double prime. Do not use curly quotes. Do people do it that way around? Yes. Oh, dear. So uh, especially on the web, um, because it's easier just to type the inch mark, isn't it? Uh, the, yeah. The double inch. But actually, I was reading that the prime mark can actually be, uh, it can be another an, uh, another. Um, subset of the quote where it's slightly slanted so you have you have your straight quotes or your prime primes then you have your slightly angled ones which are your inch marks Mm -hmm. and then you have your curly quotes as well so Mm -hmm. it's very confusing isn't it it's uh important if you're quoting a measurement in inches (laughs) yeah so famous quotes quoting inches are there any uh (laughs) Oh, there is one. I, I, I read one earlier. What? It's um, Capt, uh, Captain Ahab in Moby Dick. Uh, it was on a site that I was just looking at about um, smart quotes. Right. Better than a 65-foot, six-inch whale, Captain Ahab. Yeah. I can't, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, daggers. Daggers? Uh, daggers. I like a dagger or an obelisk, as they're also known. So daggers are a little kind of... Uh, cruciform shape that you use on footnotes uh, typically after you've already used and well I say typically after you've used an asterisk but I see asterisks being used less and less for footnotes really um, maybe this is just because I've worked in um, uh, medical pharmaceutical design for so long where you all your footnotes are actually references rather than footnotes. So they're just numbered with a little a little number. Yeah. Um, but I like a dagger. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Is the, it wrong the, to use a dagger if you haven't already used an asterisk then? Well, the, we were always debating this in uh, when we were doing brochures because you, especially with, uh, with how, you know, property brochures, there's mm. a lot of... Um, uh, sort of affidavits and um you know references yeah. to legal jargon that you bung elsewhere and so we would i would start with a single a single asterisk yep uh then go to a double and then a triple no and then do you, then not, do, do you not go as far as a quadruple no uh, and then i do then i do a uh a dagger and then a double dagger and then after that, you should really be using one, two, three, four, you, I think. <laughs> but were, we were always debating whether it goes ast- uh, asterisk, dagger, 
double asterisk, double dagger. And there was always, you know, enormous debate about it. And then you forget to, you know, you take one out and you forget to update it. And, you know, so they're a slippery slope, aren't they? They are. Absolutely. I'm just going to see what the Guardian Style Guide has to say. All ah, right. But also, I think at certain types sizes, the asterisk, asterisk um, becomes, you know, just looks like a, a degree mark or a dot. So yeah. using the dagger is a lot more um, more of a visual a visual aid to the reader. And they, they look really cool. <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, I think That's so. It's a bit geeky, isn't it? <clears throat> Uh, I can't find anything in the Guardian Style Guide about that. It's let me down at the first hurdle. <laughs> e. Um, <clears throat> e. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> the ellipsis. The ellipsis. What's an ellipsis? It is not three full stops. No, it's not. It is a single entity in itself. But I was reading last night in one of these tomes that i was going through that you can if you want to set the spacing between the dots you can set it in dots yourself and tighten the kerning which we'll come to later mm. um so uh, which i hadn't really ever thought about um i always just insert the ellipsis well then there's the thing that an ellipsis uh strictly speaking should be preceded and um followed by a space yes and I, I never precede an ellipsis by a space i think it looks odd I think that's only if you're take you've taken out a chunk of so if you have a sentence and you take out the uh, in the middle section you put in an ellipsis so that should be space ellipsis space but if it's at but the end of a, oh I see well, uh, if it's at the end of a sentence where you're just trailing off I don't I don't think you uh, put a space before it but you should put a space after it and then a full stop which looks really weird yes so I don't do that I don't follow that rule but that is apparently the the rule yeah. This yeah, is you are all. getting. This is this is the stuff, isn't it? No, no, this is this is this is good. <laughs> I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm, my mum's going to love listening to this one. Some, I mean, I think now uh, something's like Word and Pages. I think if you type three dots, it will just trans. Doesn't it just turn it into an ellipsis? Yeah, I think a lot of them do. Uh, but I still get sent all sorts of shenanigans. People mm. love to use an ellipsis in the most. Uh, or it, if, especially on headings, they'll use it if they can't think of a good sentence. So they'll just trail <laughs> off. It's like, you know, it's like a toddler dropping the toy and running off to the next thing. So I, yeah. I do try and avoid them as much as I can if I'm writing. Um, I don't. I think it's you know they're pretty lazy. Mm. Uh, so on to F. Futura. Yeah, I like uh, Futura. Our first typeface. I think Your we haven't. Typeface. No, we haven't listed one yet. Oh, I see. No, we haven't, have we? No. Um, well, we mentioned Comic Sans. Oh, yeah. Well, second type first, Futura. <laughs> uh, a good example of a geometric sans serif. <laughs> Brilliant. What does that mean, Rob? <clears throat> oh, don't. Uh, I'm not a type uh, historian. Geometric right. sans serif, it's a sans serif, which has got geometric platforms rather than the kind of platforms uh, that you find on a grotesque sans serif, which typically follow the lines that you would have created from perhaps uh, sign painting, where you've got more of a thick and thin going on. Is that? Yeah, I think the future is Paul Renner and it follows the Bauhaus movement of reducing everything to basic geometric shapes. And future is probably a classic um, version of that. And it has those interesting pointy 
uh, on the M's and the W's. Um, there's an actual there's an actual word yes. for that. It's called an over. Is it called an overrun? So where you have uh-huh. your, on certain weights of Futura, you have uh, large points. Um, yes. Yeah. So, some you don't. Med- I don't think in, on the medium weight. I think it's flat, which is really odd. It's always struck me as odd. But yeah, so things like the O's and the P's are made of circles, and you know, the, there's no variance on the uh, on the stroke of the. Yeah. Of, the, of the font so it can it can look uh very cold and calculating at times but if you mix it with something softer uh a serif or whatever it it, it can complement them very well mm. um yeah I, I, I will find out what that what that technical word is in a minute mm. uh fluorons i like a fluoron were they in um joe 90 yes yes they were uh, so fluorons, they're decorative elements of a typeface. Uh, obviously floral in nature, typically. Um, and also the fluoron was a typographic manual from, I think, the 1920s or 30s, uh, founded by Stanley Morrison, who was, was he Monotypes type consultant? I think he was, wasn't he? Who's monotype? I know. I know. He he came up with Times Roman numeral, as yes, Jessica I calls think, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Times Roman, um, and the uh, the the new version of Baskerville. I think he came up with at monotype. Um, yes. So we like a fluoron. Any other Fs? What does the fluoron do? I think it's purely decorative, isn't it? You, you quite often get them at the end of a chapter, don't you? Yes, in, uh, in books, I like them. Yeah, underused these days. Yeah, let's camp- let's have a campaign for the reintroduction of the floral. Yeah, I'm going to put them in my website. Good, nice. Uh, I like that. They're called overshoots. Those things, overshoots, the pointed apexes. Okay. Yeah, can be potentially distracting when large. <laughs> I was just right. trying to. I was visualising them then. Um, G, or have you got any other Fs? No, <clears throat> Gil Sands, because we're going on from Futura. Uh, yes. I think they were made within the same year, I think. Is it 1926 for Gil Sands, 1927 yeah. for Futura? Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, this, is a, this is a moot point, but I think that they're very good descriptions of the Germanic versus the uh, English race uh, races in terms of the application of geometric shapes that Eric Gill made the uh, typeface Gill Sands uh, sort of based upon some of his the work he'd done on the Johnston typeface, which is the London Underground typeface, yeah. which is much more geometric in its origins. But Gill Sands is full of weird quirks and things that don't quite work. And um, it's like the, uh, he called them the pair of spectacle G, which is two circles that are kind yeah. of joined by wiggly line um, and the R that never fits anything. Um, that, <laughs> Uh, but which has a sort of a curve, a curved foot, which is sort of uh, sort of a nod towards Roman incised letters. Um, yeah. But what I, I like, I like that that comparison between Germanic and English because the English is they are quirky and difficult buggers. Um, well, I wonder if if much of that came because I didn't realise he'd he'd done a sign painting this the sign on a bookshop in bristol 
and that was kind of his one of his first uses of what became Gil Sands. So I wonder if it took on some of the quirks of of the hand painted sign, even yeah. though it was based on a geometric. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's absolutely brilliant image, isn't it, of him up a ladder in Bristol painting a signboard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just bizarre to think that, that he was he was doing that. But he was so prolific. Um, but very, very strange man. Yes. Well, there's a, a th- we've talked about Ditchling uh, a few times. Ditchling have got an exhibition on Eric Gill. I don't think it's opened just yet, but it uh, it deals very much with um, the dark side of his personality because I think they they've come to the conclusion that you can't talk about his work <clears throat> and not talk about him. Um, so that might be a very interesting but quite difficult exhibition to see, I think. Yeah. I don't want to go into it too much, but yeah. And there's an interesting thing there about uh, if, can you separate the art from the person? Um, you know, can you still like Rolf Harris, his paintings these days, or the um, the television work of Jimmy Savile, for instance? <laughs> No, is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were searching for. Uh, any other Gs? Gutenberg. Ah, oh, yes. Good old Gutenberg. Can't La- not mention Gutenberg. Laugh a minute, he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but where would, would we be without him? Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't know an awful lot about um, Gutenberg. I mean, obviously, he he's uh, credited with introducing mechanical moving type to Europe and starting the printing revolution. Um, is that one of those things that, that did he come up with it? Or was he just the first person? Is it like VHS and Betamax? <laughs> to come up with it, but not, not really uh, roll it out properly. No, I think you, uh, well, there are others, aren't there, that, that were producing at the same time, or it's debatable whether uh, he learnt about it from China, where it was being, uh, mm. being used. But he certainly invented the kind of movable type and the repurposing of metal type. Yeah. Um, and the sort of, I think the metal, uh, that we call lead that isn't lead, um, uh, some kind of, uh, what is it anyway? What was it? What was it? The metal that he made? It was a sort of, a, you know, an amalgamation of different, um, elements that allowed it to be, uh, to be durable and also, you know, carvable. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think, I think we, we should, we should call him the father of all of that. And, and it's, and it's amazing to think that the same, uh, you know, he invented it. When was it? 1450 odd. Um, yes. I, I haven't got the, the facts to hand, but, uh, it, the, that method of printing didn't change until the 1840s. Mm-hmm. Um, that in the 18, I think in the 1810s, they uh, obviously knew kind of steel and iron meant that they could make much stronger presses and therefore the rate of printing went up, but not a huge amount. And it was only the invention of, um, and then obviously steam powered ones, um, but it was only the invention of the rotary press, uh, I think in the 1830s that really changed printing to sort of some somewhere approaching you know uh, where we are now and then the next 70 years the the print rate went up massively but yeah i yeah. think I, I think yeah he st- he started something that you know so what was that sort of 400 years they used the same method for set crazy isn't it yeah <clears throat> yeah 
and he was responsible that that invention was responsible for I put here, the democratization of learning you know the, the renaissance probably couldn't have happened in the way that it did without printing absolutely um yeah, and if we just look at the uh, at the UK and the um, the civil war that followed, you know, in the next century, yeah. it would never have been able to take place without pamphlet printing and easy, yeah. quick printing that you know people could set up and start speaking uh, against relig- religious beliefs um, and carry Protestantism throughout Europe, um, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it allowed revolutions to happen. Yeah. Uh, lead type, typically uh, alloys of tin, antimony, and lead. Antimony, that's it. Yeah. There you go. Ah. Um, <clears throat> yes, humanists. <laughs> Not Tell people me about who are, uh, You bury them in cardboard. Uh, cardboard yeah, generally in a, in a woodland. Coffin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, um, a humanist is the sort of the first typefaces that moved away from the black letter form. Um, so I think you've still got some kind of uh, feeling of the fact that it was hand incised or handwritten. Uh, typically, a slanted E is a good way to to okay. find a to find a humanist typeface. Uh, Garamond mm-hmm. um, is a typical example. Like it's just beautiful, isn't it? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so. Um, it's really easy to read in long, long book form, basically. Mm. Um, you know, don't set books in, uh, in sans serif if you want people to read it. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. It's tiring. So yeah, yeah. Hu- humanist, a whiff of the pen about them. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I italic. And yes, <laughs> you put, put in what you typed. I can't think of a funny slant to put on this. Um, yeah, so Alex, well, you kind of covered it a little bit, didn't you, about uh, emphasis and um, how it's uh, being described in in kind of web and coding. Yeah, I think there's an Italian invention, isn't it, um, in terms of uh, when it came through into being used as uh, for typesetting. Mm. Um, and uh, I know nothing more about the fact. <laughs> well, let's fact, move on to interpunct. Fact then. desk closed. Let's move to interpunct, which is a word I don't even know what that is. No, and I I didn't either. So, and I just saw it and just thought that sounds like a br- that's a brilliant word, isn't it? Interpunct. Great name for a band. Yeah, it's a dot uh, that's centrally placed on the baseline, which we skipped. A baseline is what uh, every type sits on. That I'm, you know, that is sucking yep. eggs. That is <laughs> that is a baseline. Uh, it's amazing how many designers don't use baselines. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, the interpunct sits between, you know, between the the baseline and the top of the excite, uh, and it's often used, you know, New York, Geneva, Huddersfield, and you mark it with oh, a little <laughs> dot. I wondered where you were going with that. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a bullet point, but it's a an interpunct. It's, it's an interpunctuation. Point, yeah. It's not a full stop. Yeah. yeah. So you'd set it in headings and things like that. Mm. Again, you could use I like, a. Fl- I like an interpunct. Yeah, you could use a fluoron, couldn't you? There, if you yeah. were feeling a bit flowery. Absolutely. But yeah, it'd be a good band name, wouldn't it? In- the interpunks. Yeah. I'm going what? to start a band. Your, your other eye, I have no idea what this is. Inline letter forms. Yeah, it's like yeah, uh, typically on a, a sans serif where you get, so you got a black letter I, and you've got the thin white line in it. 
so you got that kind of inline oh yeah replication so that's inline lettering ah um which is a display but you know a display type i'm trying to think of a really good example but i can't um, um gaudi kind of, gaudi handled uh i'll agree with you <laughs> i'm thinking it's it's kind of it's it got like holes bit, in it like it's, it's, yeah, but like in um, like you've incised it. it feels like uh, kind of art deco-y. I think it's got a bit of an art deco feel to it. Okay. Hmm. K Kerning. We mentioned Kerning. You, you skipped J. Oh, what, what was your justification for that? <laughs> <sighs> Just so you could do that gag, John. <laughs> uh, force justified. <clears throat> yes. W- when should you use it? And like, what is it? I don't like force justifying type because it leads to all sorts of ugly spaces between letters and words. Yeah. Doesn't but, it? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of clients ask for it, don't they? I, I have actually used it recently and I try not to use it. But, I, you know, I think when you've got two columns of text or opposing columns, you, there's no other way of setting it because two left-hand yeah. column, left-hand justified columns just look really weird. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, it, I don't know why uh, clients love forced text. Um, you obviously save space, so that's why newspapers use them. Um, you know, less paper that you're, that you're using. Um, exactly. Better. And it gets used in in medical stuff as well for footnotes and references because there's typically so many of them. Is that your you know, uh, yeah. your beer bottles being emptied? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that this week's, this week's. Rob? Blimey. Yeah. <laughs> These microphones really do pick up quite a lot, don't they? Yeah. Still, still going, the recycling. Um, no, that's the uh, Italian restaurant just uh, just over the street. Uh, yes, just because uh, you know, typically text is um, I can't think of the term uh, ranged, uh, ranged, ranged left, ragged right, um, which is typically how you type when you're doing anything and how you see it most. Um, but yes, justifying. Uh, force justifying the type makes uh, both the left and the right hand edge of the type a straight line so it gets rid of that ragged right um, but can result in very ugly um, rivers which we'll talk about later yeah. in the type uh, so yes K kerning <clears throat> it's the only K we've got yeah um, it's uh, I think it's um a bit of a lost art, I think, for a lot of designers. Kerning, a lot, a lot of people do. A lot of people I work with just don't kern anything, um, which I find baffling. Um, so kerning is the, the process of adjusting the space between letters, uh, and you need it for legibility, a little bit, and aesthetics. And when you see bad kerning, it really sticks out, and you often see it on signage and kind of printed stuff out out in the world you'll see a i don't know a shop that'll have its name badly kerned and it kind of breaks it into two words rather than one or um it looks ugly when type is badly kerned but it's it's amazing how many people in design just don't kern anything 
<clears throat> no, I'd probably I, I would kern headlines and I would yeah. kern, obviously hand adjust uh, anything that I did for branding or a yes. logo. Um, but generally, you know, with the speed that we have to set, you know, put put things out. We were talking about last week, mm. weren't we, with the, the pressures of uh, of self doubt. Yeah, I am referring to kind of headline stuff and and logos and yeah. Logos do you do you stuff. do you think that I mean, uh, obviously. Uh, um, type layout applications these days have a lot better um kerning in them the metrics uh, and the optical uh, settings in uh, adobe uh, indesign help you um a lot more than the old uh, quark way you know i think that it sets type better now it's absolutely improved uh, a huge amount but I, it's rare that you can set something you know larger than you know, I don't know. 30 point and not have to kern it still yeah, yeah. you know still never looks quite right uh, and often you know uh, when when you've got really large typefaces obviously on signage or whatever what we used to have to be careful was is obviously split panels so we try and yeah. uh, if we're doing fascias or whatever you you wouldn't want a letter splitting where the um where you had panels joining because uh sometimes in uh, when you're using perspex or whatever uh the in the summer uh perspex expands and if you've mm-hmm. glued a particular letter across two spaces you get broken letters um mm-hmm. or torn letters or rip letters so again we had to do that by hand just nudging things along um so to make sure that they didn't um i think a, a good one is uh is www dot because people very very rarely kern that but it really really needs it because mm. the dot sits on the right hand edge of the uh, top stroke of the w and you have yep. this enormous space underneath that needs pulling in and that's what we that's what kerning is all about i don't know that mm. everyone who's probably listening to this knows what that is but that well, kind of like, is called kemming isn't it is it yeah because oh. if you badly kern the word kerning it looks like kemming <laughs> So the R and the N yeah, up, right. don't look like an M. So Very if you good. Google Kemming, yeah, you probably get a lot of examples of bad kerning. The top, top fact there. Or... <clears throat> uh, L? <clears throat> yes. Uh, I'm do you want to start? Hmm. I'm going to start with leading. Uh, and this is one of those terms that we talked about a bit earlier where it's actually come from a physical um you know, setting of type where yeah. they would put ledged what they called leading, which strips of um, metal in between lines of text, and that denotes the line height. Hmm. And we still use that phrase today, um, although you know some people call it line spacing or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, leading is its proper term. Have you got a favourite? Um... <laughs> well that would no, depend like on 10 on tw- 10 on 12 uh that would depend on the typeface i think but i'm a 1.3 or 1.4 man myself oh you know yeah so yeah. you like you like your uh your, your decimal bits for for your leading but not for your pi scores <laughs> one well, can... rule for you and another for others <laughs> oh, i see yeah which uh leads me on to line length which yes. uh, is is the relationship between line length and leading is quite important. Um, and obviously when you bought typefaces uh, in the past, uh, they were set sizes. So you couldn't have a 10.5 point. Mm. You had to have nine or 12. 
and that would come with set leading. So therefore, it was about just determining the line length that determined the size of typeface that you'd use. It would determine yep. the amount of pages that your book would be set in. So why, does, why is line length important? Well, I think because the eye gets tired. It's either too short um, and you can't uh, read the sentence because you're constantly having to go down to the next line or it's too long. Uh, You get this on websites a lot and uh, you end up with 20 or 30 words. It's just absolutely exhausting to get to the end of it and Mm. then to go down to a new line. So there's an optimal uh, uh, character spacing. Um, I think it's, oh, hang on. It's yeah, 35 to 65 characters, which is quite a large uh, area. I always do it a maximum ten to twelve words is kind of where I start, and then fiddle okay. around after that. I think that's a good. I try to set um, websites in the same way um, because it's a nice, easy, uh, easy on the eye kind of read. But I don't think yes. there's a particular science behind it. Again, it would, it would depend on the uh, on the typeface that you're using. Yeah, sorry, I've got um, <clears throat> Wikipedia open at the minute, and if you you know, compress the window size down, then their line length will go to to one word. <laughs> and then if you open your, your window right up, you you know, you can open it up uh so that entire paragraphs will fit on two lines. So um that is an issue in for the web, isn't it? Because unless you build it in, you've got no control over line length. No, you're always working on percentages. But but now with, uh, obviously, with media queries, which are basically uh, little settings that you can put in your style sheets that, that are constantly asking the browser how wide the window is, mm-hmm. um, you can set a relationship between that, your typeface, and your, um, and your leading so that mm. you can actually have some control. Uh, so there's no excuses for it? No, it's just a lot more work. Yeah. Um, and again, time is of the essence. Well, yeah. So some you just have to choose. You know, I just tend to start with I just choose. Uh, you know, different devices and um, or different widths of screen that I know will suit certain ones, and then I can just adjust in between. So, for example, I'd have uh, uh, mobile, uh, mobile and tablet. Let's go really basic: mobile, tablet, desktop. Those yep. are your th- those are your three spaces, and you work between between those. Uh, people will vilify me for saying that, but that's that's kind of the basic premise. Makes sense to me. Yeah, ligatures. I like a ligature. Yeah, it's again uh, something that I never knew about before I started. Um, and obviously, sign making machines were so dumb that they would never put ligatures in to um, into the type. The, the typefaces didn't even come with the ligatures. Well, you don't see them that often. No. I mean, they're often, you, I think they're often most obvious these days in logos and you know, brand names or, you know, they, they look quite elegant and quite sophisticated when you use a ligature. So a ligature being a, a, a combination of a, a character, which is a combination of two or sometimes more characters that overlap typically. So if you have an F and an I together, the, the F and the I kind of crash together. So you create a ligature character, which elegantly crashes them together um yeah but you don't see them that much in sort of general terms do you 
I think I, th- I just don't think you'd notice them that much. Um, and you've got to remember that a lot of typefaces don't even have them. So, mm, um, yeah, they will just crash together. Uh, but mostly, I think they'll be there. They just You just won't notice them. Which I but guess they, is the point. Yeah, but they can be beautiful forms when they're blown up. They're a lot like the ampersand, can't they? they um, yes. They, they look beautiful. Um, and I think we're seeing more and more of them with the open type uh, format of typeface so basically it c- allows a lot more characters to be mm-hmm. uh, inserted into into a font um, then you can put in all sorts of goodies um, whereas in the old postscript fonts you only had a certain amount of characters so you know you were kind of limited and now you get all sorts don't you some of them especially uh, like scripty ones I know that uh, the metro script that I've been using has all sorts of wonderful connectors that you can have you know yeah. different sized Y swashes you know where it zooms out um, yeah and, really or, nice or you can put in customized um, ampersands that say and but are set in you know curly script or whatever um, so yeah you can get all sorts of uh, weird and mm. wonderful which we'll come to on at the end. Yeah. Um, M. Mutton. Mutton. Uh, this is a fact. I never knew. Did you, have you ever heard of no, this? No. Uh, so, so M, we're going to do M dash, which is a bit of a, uh, uh, a jump, uh, a leap of faith. But the, <laughs> the, the, the M dash, uh, there are different, you know, there isn't just a thing as a hyphen that everybody uses. Um, and again, I think like word and, uh, and pages and, um, uh, they they automatically insert these in, uh, but an M dash is was traditionally the width of the of the M of the typeface, um, and because the M was is normally the widest character uh, yeah. in, in a typeface, but now it's actually the height of the typeface. Um, so uh, the, that is that determines the length of this line, um, and uh, it's also known as a mutton. And it's often used, it's used more, um, Americans use it more than uh, than the English. Um, and I don't know about Europeans and other people right. around the world. I don't know how they use them. But we, uh, I would use an M dash uh, if I was um, probably, I, I use them very rarely. I, if I was, if there, there was a quote um, and there's a pause in uh, conversation, something like that mm-hmm. is, is a good mark for that. Um and which then goes on. Have you got anything to say on M dashes? Yep. And then that goes on to, and then, so then the next letter is N and that's an N dash. And an N dash is literally just half the length of an M dash. And an N dash is, I use all the time. And that is for joining uh, numbers. So if you were saying, you know, the numbers one, two, a hundred, you don't use a hyphen, you use an N dash. So what's the difference? Between an N dash and a hyphen, uh, an N dash is based on typographic uh, size, and the hyphen is a fixed width and shorter. Uh-huh. And a hyphen would be, uh, you know, is is for conjoining words. So, um, you know, award winning would be joined yes. by a hyphen, not an N dash. It's quite, it's quite. They're quite simple rules to follow, yeah. um, and they just add for they just add interest to um, your typesetting, don't they? Mm. But yeah, that's also known as a nut, an N dash. So muttons and nuts. Yeah, why? Why is that? Don't know. It's weird. I wonder if there's is there any rhyming slang there? I don't know. Mutton. No. No. Can't get it. <laughs> if anyone's listening that does know, yeah, why an what, N dash is called a mutton, or an N dash is known as a nut. Any people who used to work in the printing trade, maybe. Yeah, they'll they'll know. Yeah. Oh. 
<laughs> What's wrong? <laughs> Are you out of beer? Uh, well, you've just mentioned open type, haven't you? Yeah. Which I don't really know an awful lot about. I know it's uh, it's out there, but um, what differentiates that from um, true type? Uh, more character, more characters. I think true type is more unreliable. As was a, um, I think Microsoft invented uh, or came up with the um, technology behind true type mm-hmm. um and i always remember there being a lot of problems when you go when you put um true types through rips which are basically how you set type uh, how you set um files up for going onto a printer um so we we would use postscript which is um open type uh, open type just have more characters i think um and i would never use true type fonts just through okay. habit I don't know what the big difference is in terms of, I think it's just the amount of characters that they can hold, but also probably all the different languages uh, types, you know, the, the Cyrillic and all that kind of stuff can be embedded into one typeface for open type, which makes them yeah. a lot easier to carry around. Orphans and widows. Orphans and widows. It's a lovely term, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's um, so orphans. I always think of uh, the, uh, a colonel uh, getting killed on the battlefield and uh, <laughs> being orphaned, and that's because he's on his own in a column. Okay, Colonel Cole. No, so <laughs> and widows. Uh, paras jumped out of aeroplanes and often never came back, and uh, left a lot of widows. And they're from paragraphs. I just made that up, by the way. Okay, so a widow is a is a, <laughs> is a, a line that sits on its own. That's at the end of a paragraph, but it's. It's jumped like to the next page or something. Just a word, a single word. A word. Oh, yep. Okay. And I an thought or- it was a, a line or a. No, and a word uh, and an orphan is when a word jumps onto the next page or the column. Next column. So you, you have a column starting with a single single word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It could be two words. I mean, you know, that would equally yeah. look or horrible. Uh, and there are many ways about uh, to get around that. One of them is just to do soft returns and, you know, nudge things down and away yeah. you go. And the other one is to have a properly set up <laughs> style sheet that uh, you can do all sorts of weird and wonderful things using um, using uh, grep, which is a kind of um, replacement uh, language and, uh, and regex. And you can actually get around it. You can put in rules that automatically bump these down so i must admit i didn't know that you could do that in starships yeah so uh um well, i don't I, think i've ever worked with anyone else that knows you can do that in starships either oh yeah well um the only thing is in the latest indesign all my files that have got this script you know this little search and destroy thing that gets rid of them uh yep. just crashed <laughs> Oh. The thing every time I opened it, so I've had to disable it for now. But yeah, you can just you can say um, you can basically search for words that are um, uh, over a particular percentage width of the column, and then it will pull them back into the top line, or it will knock more more words down above mm. it. Uh, it's quite handy. Yeah, absolutely. I will share that with you. Thank you. Although <laughs> I tend not to do an awful lot of. Uh design on typesetting these days um yes uh on to p pilcrow yes the pilcrow pub 
Never used them. Yeah, we've talked about the Pilkera pub in up in Manchester, isn't it? Yeah. Um, a few times. Uh, so a Pilkera is that uh, is that, is like a P with like a double uh, upright. Um, and it's a, a paragraph mark. Yes. If you Typically. if you work in um, in design a lot and you just turn on your show hidden characters, which I, I kind of have on all the time, yeah. then then you'll have your Pilkros at the end of every line break. Yeah, I liked the, the where it came from was um, in the Middle Ages. It marked a new train of thought. Yeah, that's brilliant. So effectively, a new paragraph, but before they started using paragraphs and separating sections of text in that way. Yeah. Um, so they just used to throw in a pilcra. <laughs> that's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. But where did the line break come from? Yeah. Why didn't anyone think of it before? <laughs> was it... It was Mr. Pilcrow, was it? Was it? Yeah. What, what does what the, where does the word come from? Oh, it was Peter Ilcrow. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. No. Any again, people, fact us up. Um. And, uh, mm, no. <laughs> uh, on to the next uh, one. Wik- the- hang on. Wikipedia just says the Pilcrow, also called the paragraph mark, paragraph sign, paraph, or a linear, from Latin. A linear off the line. Well, that doesn't, doesn't help really us, does it? Help at all? No, no. Um, pit per is for point and picker. Yes, which is a you've written. It's a Pokemon. A type of Pokemon, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Oh. No, it's not. Oh, um, yeah. I uh, yeah. It's very complicated for non-type people. Pikas, uh, Pika M's points none of it's decimal yeah i i have to say I, I, yeah it's really complicated and also it's it's kind of archaic um that you generally we rely on millimeters or inches or whatever to set print up the sizes yeah um, but then everything inside it is meant to be um set to point so you set your type to point um yeah. so you've got this kind of um I don't know. They they fight against each other, don't they? Because there's no actual real correlation between a point and millimeters or inches. No. Oh, well, no, there are a inches. Point, a, point, well, a point is just more than one seventy second of an inch. Yeah, it's not quite. It's not quite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. So it's really hard to uh, to understand, and the uh, and, and when you write them down, they're really strange, aren't they? Yes. Uh, so I tend to just use um, points for my uh, for leading and the point size. Um, I won't use peakers or anything like that. I, d- I, no, I was I never taught it, and does. I don't understand it. No, I don't know anyone that uses anything but points. <clears throat> yes. Um, another P. I'll sneak in because um, we'd already done B. Uh, prayer, the Book of Common Prayer, uh, designed by Derek Birdsall is one of the most beautifully produced pieces of print ever, I think. Really complex document um, to work on, I imagine. You've got lots of different liturgical um, conventions that have to be adhered to. Uh, And Derek Bertel produced a really beautiful book. So if you're ever visiting church and they've got a reasonably new copy of the Book of Common Prayer, have a look. All printed in black and red, um, and it's a lovely thing. Q. 
<laughs> yes. Well, I'll start with Quark or Quark. Um, we all used to use it. I don't know anyone that still does. Still get uh, so Quark uh, Express desktop publishing software, which was the industry standard for many years until InDesign came along. It was used to be hideously expensive, and then InDesign popped up and was like three hundred quid, about a grand cheaper than Quark. Um, and has already taken its place. I imagine there's, but you know, lots of uh, institutional places probably still use Quark because they don't want to move to a new system. Um, and I've written a thing about Quark here because I don't know how they came up with the name. So Quark is a is also a subatomic particle, and that in turn got its name from James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake. There's a line in it, three quarks for Muster Mark, which Murray Gell Mann, the, the guy who discovered the atomic particle quark, named it after that line. Um, and uh, I've, I've, I've no idea if this, this is anything to do with the naming of Quark Express, but I like it anyway. Very good. Um, Q, Q is also for question marks and an interesting typographical element again. Mm. The interrobang. I like an interrobang. No, I I've never really used. I don't know what you'd use one for. What would you Chess. use one? Chess. Yeah. What do you mean? Chess and interrobang. Um, well, a question mark followed by. I'm going to get this the wrong way around. A question mark followed by an exclamation mark, which is what a, an interrobang is a conjunction of, uh, denotes an interesting move. And if you have it the other way around, it's a dubious move. So it kind of gets used in chess terminology, ah. but, the, but it means uh, an an interesting, explosive question or a question which is also kind of exclaimed. So if, I guess if you ask a question loudly, you could use an interrobang. What the hell? You could use an intero interrobang for, for instance. Uh, so that was Q. Or have you got more to say about question marks? No, we need to push on. We're near yes. the end. <laughs> Are oh, you still with us? Is anyone still with us? Is anyone still there? Rivers of text. Yes. And you've put, hold your page upside down. How do yeah. you do that when you're designing on um, computer? Oh, because you can turn your uh, your pasteboard around now on InDesign. Oh, I thought you meant turn your entire uh, screen <laughs> so, upside Some down. screens do have them, don't they? I've seen them. Yeah, they, they, they yeah. swivel around and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, um, yeah, if you've got a lot of, if you're... Um, you know, typesetting type something that's really critical uh, and um, you're spending a little bit of time on, um, spin your work upside down just to check for rivers because you'll see them much more easily uh, that way around. Uh, rivers are gaps that appear in long bits of type and they especially uh, in false justification, um, they appear uh, because the words are, you know, being pushed to the left and the right. They will open up what are called rivers. Yeah. There's also lakes and ponds, isn't there? Oh, lakes and oceans. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, where is where the kind of gaps between letters and words uh, line up uh, on subsequent lines, uh, and you get these kind of big, big holes. Yeah, uh, I, I, I do it with, um, especially when I'm kerning for uh, for logo types. 
um, yep. I will spin it upside down and and kern it by hand that way because uh, it removes. I find it removes you from the from looking at the letter as a letter. Yeah, you um, don't read it. You just look at it as a shape, don't you? Yeah, and I got that idea from. And I'm not comparing myself to Lichtenstein because <laughs> I saw a film on him painting his dots, and he wanted to remove himself so much from the process of uh, of the picture um, that he would paint upside down. Oh. Yeah. I think a, a lot of um, artists use it as well. Right. And, you know, they turn their work upside down. You notice things that you haven't noticed before, yeah. particularly in things like a comic artist do it in when they're drawing people and they look at an anatomy and ah, stuff right. and they turn it upside down. You can quite often see something that looks way out when you turn it upside down. So handy for, for many cases. Yeah. Uh, S, do you want to talk about style sheets, John? And I'll, I'll just have a snooze. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's these things called style sheets that you can set up in um, Never in applications, and uh, they, they'll really help you um, create uh, a proper set of rules for your typography on the page. Uh, and if you align them with a baseline grid, they're even more powerful. Give them a go; they're great. Yes, <laughs> no, I agree completely. Um, I think one of the reasons I don't always use them is I'm as a an art worker or a freelancer working in studios i'm often picking up work from other people and typically they haven't used them. yeah yeah no i i, I am I, i'm not i'm not i i am a yes total, you are yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but there's loads of cool things you can do with them like i've just met you know i've mentioned before grep text replacement um so for example you can um you know you can automatically set up a bullet point list with the first two words um in a heavier typeface or a different color um, and you can do that all with style sheets without having to hand change every single element and then if you want to change the color you change the color in the style sheet and everything changes in your 70 page document you're not there yeah. till 10 o'clock at night relining you know realigning everything and copying pasting and making mistakes right you are that's why style sheets are good okay, okay. the end <laughs> uh t tilled i like a tilled yeah what would you use a tilled for i only use a tilled in one uh, circumstance these days and that is if i'm retweeting something or writing a tweet and i use it um to cc people in if they're you know, if I want them to see the tweet, but I'm not addressing them specifically in the tweet, I'll do a, a little CC and a tilde. Nice. I don't. I have no idea if that's kind of uh, an appropriate usage. I don't but know. That's, that's where I typically use it. They used encoding a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I've no, I don't really use them. Oh. Apparently, it, was, uh, it comes from the Latin "titulus," meaning title. And it was used, originally written over a letter as a scribal abbreviation, as a mark of suspension. Mm. There you go. Yeah. But a cute little, cute little wavy line. And another tiny, cute little thing is a, you've written it down here. I didn't know this. A tittle. A tittle. I'm sure you said that to me before, but I. (laughs) Tittle tapple. Yeah. Uh, The smallest part of a letter, particularly the dot on an I or a J. It's called a tittle. Good fact. Mm. <clears throat> you? Yes. Uppercase. And lowercase. Yeah. Um, again, another reference to physical objects in typesetting printing offices. Yeah. 
uh, it would be the uh, the cases that you kept all of your fonts in. And the upper one had all of the capital letters and the lower one had all of the lower case letters. Yeah. Isn't, that's how I, it came about. I wonder what, the, what did they call the lowercase letters before they kept them in the lowercase? I don't know. Are they Roman? Maybe. I'm pr- yeah. I think just the plain, they're just called Roman, aren't they? When yeah. it's just a, a lowercase. If people are listening to this, we're going to get so many. Yeah, I know. It's bad, isn't it? All writing in. But that's good. You know, if we have um, crucified the the uh, typographic term in any way, please do let us know, gently. <laughs> um, another typeface, Universe, uh, only because we couldn't afford the licensing for Helvetica when we were a sign shop. So we had Universe instead. And we used to yeah. use that for ev- absolutely everything. It's a similar, it has loads and loads of uh, different weights um, and it's a good family to use. It's not mm. as, uh, um, it's not as robust, I'd say, as Helvetica, but um, no. I think in the 80s it was much more popular, I'd say. Yeah, I think so. I think it was more popular when I was at college. Yeah, on on signage and stuff. I think that is due to the cost. I, ju- I really, because, yeah, you know, Helvetica, to buy the, set, uh, the you know, just the family is what, 1,300 quid? Oh, I don't know. Something like that. But nobody ever buys them. We we haven't put in type type licensing, have we? The no. sort of the the uh, the unspoken uh, collections that people have in their in their possession. I've I've only got what came with my computer, Sean. Yeah, it's weird how uh, Helvetica has become so ubiquitous, given that Helvetica and Universe were both based on the same typeface and designed within a couple of years of each other yeah i'm not i'm not a big user of either of them i i I still like helvetica you know regardless of how um badly eric speakerman talks about it um i do like helvetica and like you say it's robust it's a a really robust face i think yeah people will say that you know you can't tell the difference between lowercase i and an l which is entirely true but you know, it's it's fine. I like it. V variations. Vari- <laughs> variations are a new form of uh, open type that being banded about, and lots of arguments going around. Um, and they are basically we talked about this on the podcast a while back um, that allow um, uh, typefaces you to set the width of the stroke. Uh, any any weight that you like so um so if you think back to when you could only get uh type sizes in 9 12 you know yep. 16 etc uh now we uh, and now you can set them in any size well we're going to say that you know weights of light medium bold heavy they're going to go away completely and you can set that weight yourself um i'm not sure i'm mm. pro that um multiple masters were the old version of it where yeah, uh, yeah. one font would contain all of the weights uh, they wouldn't be separate files yeah um and this pressure is coming from uh type manufacturers and um uh, people building operating systems you know companies like microsoft and apple um i don't i'm can't say i'm going to be a, a, a big fan of them i don't know how a type designer can design something that is so variable um you know I don't know. It's going to be a lot of work maybe, for them, isn't it? Maybe it can all be done with logarithms. I don't or, think so. Algorithms. Maybe yeah. it'll all be done by machine learning. But I didn't realise that OpenType's now 20, 25 years old or 20 years old. Yeah. 
it's quite old an old technology so, yeah, um, so. this is the this is the next proposed step so uh, check it out if you are interested in um sort of a wonky no we're not wonky but sort of just yeah, tight faces that can grow i guess yeah w you've got uh, what the font yeah i used to use this a lot um we would when i was working in the sign business um often the way that you'd be given a logo would be uh, a letterhead yeah uh, and you would have to then recreate it because uh, it was before email and before uh, real sort of strong you know it's smaller companies before they had any kind of capability of storing um their logo uh, on 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 computer um mm. you'd either be given a bromide or which is like a black and white copy uh, or you'd be given a letterhead invariably that you would then scan in and have to hand draw their typeface so um when this came along it was like an absolute lifesaver because you can uh, scan in a uh, series of letters and upload it to what the font and it will break them into individual letters and give you a clue of what it might be, what the typeface might be. So uh, yeah. it's, it's a good way to learn different typefaces and also just to identify things. Um, yeah. yeah, used it a lot. Yeah. Uh, X height. X is for X height. Uh, now I'm going to put you on the spot. Now, John. Yeah. You told me you've got a funny story about Excite. <laughs> it's not really very funny. Um, well, people refer to X heights of letters, and the X height is what you'd think is the height of the X, isn't it? Or the lowercase yes. X. Um, but we measure things in fo- in uh, in um, points, which is actually the height of the entire, you know, from the ascender, from the top of a D to the bottom of a P. Yeah. Generally, there are letters that stick out from that just to further complicate things um so why why is there there are this relationship between the, t- the two um x height can determine um what other typefaces you use so for example if you were using a 12 point um say helvetica and you wanted to use i don't know say a gaudi bold um it might be that the x height of the gaudi bold to make it equal to the helvetica so that you can run them in line with each other say you had a I know, a recipe book and then you mm. had a sidebar with your um, ingredients on the left and then the uh, method on the right um, and you wanted to set them in different typefaces you would then be able to set the two in different type sizes but they would match each other on the x height does that yeah. make sense because yeah, different typefaces are different sizes now yeah. the problem is is if somebody then gives you that x height how do you then put that into indesign to work out what the- <laughs> what the hell uh the uh the font size is meant to be without you yeah. know going in with a tiny little microscopic calculator and working it out um because i i had this last week uh, i was doing some labels for a client who are based in france and um they passed me some european legis- legislation for label uh type size and that is set in uh the, their label legislation is in x height which just to me sounds re- is kind of I, I get the sense of it because type you know if you said mm. uh, it was type size I don't know six point minimum that could be different sizes for a million different fonts but it's just yes. working out how do you how do you get there um, just got to go in there with a tiny little <laughs> well I found a script that does the calculations for you um, you and so, the script yeah so you can just run it put in point nine millimeters which is what the uh, the smallest size is and that will work out the point size for you. That's clever. Yep. Um, why? Could we not think of a why? No. Because we've got why one space only. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is good. It, you know, it is a real bugbear when you're working in design and you receive text from clients and it's full of multiple spaces. I mean, it's bad enough when it has two spaces in it, but typically it'll, you know, you get copy from multiple people in an office. They might have two spaces, three spaces, four spaces. You know, they won't use tabs. They'll put 12 spaces in. Um, yes, which is a pain because obviously that's not how we work in design and typesetting. Well, it also doesn't look right. No, it doesn't. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so we're talking about uh, where you've got um, you put space after a sentence um, in uh, when things were monotyped uh, in on typewriters and uh, when they were monospaced, you would put in two spaces to denote the end of a sentence. But uh, computers have done that since they started; they've done that automatically. Yeah. So, and we don't use monospaced. No, we don't. No. So you might end up with a line break that will then have the next line down will be two spaces in, which just mm. looks wrong. So don't do it. Don't do it. Don't you, do it. You have been told. Um, Zed, we've, we've reached the end. Yeah, and I'm exhausted. Anyone who's, anyone who's listening to this can guess what Zed would be, I yeah. reckon. Yeah. Zap dingbats. <laughs> the hand, those, handy, those handy fonts that you have. Uh, in your collection that uh, yes. you know the go-to symbols and arrows and telephone symbols and all that kind of stuff um, yeah really handy growing in popularity one i use a lot is font awesome um, okay they, yeah. they, they've just done a kickstarter for their new version and yes. uh, it's going to have so many <laughs> so many icons um, and because using the open type format they can squeeze in i don't know how many it is a thousand i think something like that yeah, uh, yeah. Just really handy to use, aren't they? Um, the old ornaments are still in my collection, like Garamon ornaments, but I yeah. never use them. They they do have interesting shapes in there, though, like your floor. Yeah. and there's there's uh, Zap Ding, Zapf Dingbats, designed by Herman Zapf. He's the most well known, isn't it? And there's also kind of web dings and wing dings, which are similar sort of things as well, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. That was Z, A to Z, <sighs> an A to Z of type. I'm I'm exhausted too. Yeah. And I'm quite thirsty because I've had my beer. Yeah. Could do uh, with a coffee now, to be honest. Yeah, I know. I need a coffee. Um, my, quickly, a, a type type website. Yep, Type okay. Token, which we've mentioned, I think, briefly once or twice before. Uh, typetoken.net, which is uh, an online blog magazine created by Mike Sullivan, Mark Millich, and David Cole. And it's just... Dedicated to typography, icons, visual language, um, and it showcases new typefaces, uh, examples of really good type in design, uh, and it's a really nice um, website. It should be kind of all on your your weekly looking at list for inspiration and uh, what's new in type. Mm-hmm. Typetoken.net. Mine is practicaltypography.com. It's mm-hmm. a website by uh, a chap called Matthew Budderick. Uh, he is a lawyer and typesetter. What a bizarre combination of uh, talents. Um, beautiful website and everything you ever needed to know about uh, typesetting. Typography um, in 10 minutes. It's taken us an hour and 40. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really useful. Um, and uh, it, it, there are really great articles in there and just rules on when to use hyphens, dashes, you know, you name it, the rules are in there. 
So have a look. That's cool. pract- practicaltypography.com. Good stuff. And pie this week, Rob. Uh, well, I've I've just you know this is this is a, a pie review. So I've picked a pie, John. I've picked a uh, a mushroom and spinach pie, lightly truffled from uh, Robson's Butchers. Eleven o'clock in the morning. I'm just going to go in a short crust pastry. Uh, it smells quite truffly. That's good. It's a little oh truffles cool. in the morning. <laughs> it's a little cool now because uh, it's been sat there for half an hour, but. Excuse me while I just dive in. Mm. It's really still very good. It's quite moist. Nice big chunks of mushroom. Delicious pastry. For a vegetarian pie, it's excellent. I'll give it a um, a 7.2. Okay. What have you got, John? What sort of pie have you got? A custard tart from the bakery this morning. It was still warm when we got it. Um, no it's, excuse. It's a pie. It's got, you know, it's got a pastry it got a, crust. It's got, it got a pastry lid. Yeah, almost. Almost. Well, it looks like it. <laughs> um, it's a port, little Portuguese custard tart. Oh, I love those. Which are awesome, and I'm going in. What's the name? What are they called? They've got a proper name, haven't they? Well, hang on. Mm. So nice. Mm. Wobbly jet, wobbly custard. Lovely pastry. Very sweet. With the coffee, absolutely perfect. When when we went to uh, Sicily, I love a uh, cannoli as well. Oh yeah. Um. Well, uh, well, I'd call it a maid of honour because in queue behind <coughs> our flats there was this place that that called the maid of honour. I think it was yeah. like a tea room. Yeah. And uh, to get lovely maids of honour there, which are very similar, aren't they? Custard tarts, basically. Are they as custardy? I think they're thinner, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I might have to go out and find one of those today, mate. <laughs> I really do love them. When we worked together in um, St. Margaret's, I used to get them nearly every lunchtime. <laughs> I like them with the, uh, they do them with raspberries on as well, which are really nice. <clears throat> so, uh, so what's that score? That's an eight. An eight. Yeah, but I think. You know, really, it's disqualified because it's not a pie. Okay. Nice try, John. <laughs> right. With your croissants and your OG. <clears throat> well, you know, try to be, try to bring a bit of civilization to <laughs> <laughs> this Good rabble. Luck yeah. Good luck with that. So next week we've got on our list of talking about process versus creativity. Mm. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back next thursday i think we're around um yeah oh actually yeah no next thursday yeah i'll speak to you about this but um, okay. my my sister's getting married next friday so um i'll have to see how much time i've got should be all right okay. um but yeah i hope you have a lovely weekend i'm gonna go and rescue my wife from my daughter she i just nipped outside earlier and she gave me a look that would um freeze you know start the uh the ice age again so um, okay i need to go well, and, uh, you go do that Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You too. And I will uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Wake up. (laughs) Cheerio. See ya.